Do you love NASCAR and all things racing? Then you've come to the right place. I'm Derek Cope. And I'm Alicia Cope. We are your hosts. And here on Race Theory, we talk about all things asphalt racing. Our life on the road, maintaining good sponsor relationships, as well as balancing our work and family life as a team. Stick around and hopefully our tips and experiences will help you reach your own goals. Welcome back. This is an exciting uh, episode for us. I'm really pleased about this one. I'm excited to start talking about it and go into, you know, what transpired in these next couple of years because they were, I think, pivotal years for me and probably the best times in racing that I probably ever had. And uh, we're going to dive right into it. You know, it was the years that uh, Bobby Allison Motorsports uh, and I came together. And obviously, you've listened, uh, you know, maybe the earlier episode when Bobby Allison really in the infancy of my career, you know, made a major impact on me. And for me to make the decision uh, to drive for Bobby and uh, choose Bobby Allison Motorsports, uh, it meant a lot. And I felt like that it was going to be a great, great relationship. And it did. And it was. We really, I think, gelled immediately off the bat. All the personnel there, we just all clicked and we got along. And I think if you look at motorsports in general today, it really is about people. And most businesses are too. Right? It is. I mean, it's all about people. It's a people people business. Yep. And And they'll they'll make you or break you for sure. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you're only as good as the people you have working for you. And we had about 20 full-time people at Bobby Allison Motorsports. Which was extremely small, even it for really, that time. It really was for that. And, and we were doing everything. We were building our own cars, our own chassis from the ground up. We were hanging our own bodies, doing our own body work. I was doing the shock absorbers out in the, in the Sounds like Starcom Racing with 20 people even. And <laughs> same thing. And, you know, we were doing our own engines though. Keith Allman and the boys were back there doing the engines as well. And we did our own marketing up front. Carolyn Carrier did the PR and marketing, and she was, you know, uh, the daughter of uh, uh, Carrier, who owned Bristol Motor Speedway. And uh, so we had a very nice, cohesive group, and, you know, we just stayed within ourselves and really didn't listen to any outside, you know, influence and just kept our heads down and went to work. And that's what I really was excited about was the fact that we just – we spent all of our time together. I was there almost on a daily basis out in the transporter doing the shock absorbers for Jimmy Fennick, the crew chief. And, you know, we would just um, always, you know, spend time together, talk about things, and then go to the racetrack. And we'd cook out before the races out in the parking lot of the hotel, having hamburgers. Old Grumpy would be out there cooking burgers. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we just... You That's know, kind of something that doesn't happen anymore either. There was a lot of cooking out and tailgating and and uh, among the crews that uh, just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, I mean, we that's before I even had a bus, and we were, you know, staying in hotels and with the group. And you know, at this time, there was a lot of stuff said about the guys. These guys like to drink their beer and you know and have a good time. And you know, I had a lot of guys say things about them, and I was like, you know what? As long as I don't care what they do, as long as they're come prepared to go to the racetrack and we work together and we, we do well. And we would always, you know, go through the race and after practice and qualifying, we'd all go out and they had this van and out in the parking lot, you know, just in the infield there, we'd go out there, they'd sit out, everybody just kick back. And, uh, at that time we'd come over and sit and talk about the practice and, you know, just you know, they were having some beers and I was having Pepsis and we were just kind of talking about, you <laughs> yes, know. Yes, if, if any of y'all, y'all know Derek, 
he does not drink. The only time he ever drinks is when he is with Matthew Kohler, but that's a, another story. And that's but, wine. And that's wine. Yes, not a drinker. I cannot get this guy to even take a sip of my uh, martini. So, yes, that uh, it actually is quite amazing. NASCAR driver, especially through the 80s and 90s, that did not smoke and did not drink. I didn't like drinking at all, and I didn't. And I wanted to be the best that I could be, and I didn't start drinking until Matt, Kohler got me on the, <laughs> up in the stark on days drinking uh, a good a good cab. So, uh, anyways, uh, but like I said, we we just uh, we hit the ground running and we had good runs right off the bat. Uh, we obviously, um, you know, we got a sponsorship deal in in the middle of the year uh, at June, I think some June or July, when we were at Michigan and we announced the main and tail sponsorship with Straight Arrow Products, and we had a horse there and. Of course, I'm allergic to animals, so <laughs> here I am petting this horse, hanging on there. You're breaking out my hives. Asthma, and my asthma's hitting me, you know. I got wheezing. my inhaler, so I'm, I'm wheezing. So uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was interesting, and uh, it really, you know, the team was just hitting on all eight and running really well, and uh, you know, really, you know, I really hadn't won any races, but really just, you know, was getting along and having a lot of fun, and uh, you know, it was a difficult time at the same time because you know we lost you know, uh, Bobby lost Davy Allison. Now, when son. was that? Uh, I forget the year to be honest with you. Right. You know, um, I just, it had to be the around, I think it was around 94, something like that. Um, you know, I'd have to, I'd have to check that out for sure. Um, but I just remember, you know, it happening. And at that time, Davy had a Bush series team, uh, that was out of Hueytown. And it was um, owned by, I think, Ron Zook, or Ron Zook purchased it from Davey. And it was Zook Racing. And Red Farmer was the crew chief. And I remember, you know, this, you know, Davey had, and Davey, it might have been Davey might have passed away the year before. Um, yeah, 93, I think. Davey passed away in 93. And then I was driving for Bobby in 94. But uh, his race team, uh, had been purchased by Ron Zook and uh, it was all his childhood friends. And so they had never won a bush race uh, with Davy's actual team. So uh, I know that, you know, Ron uh, had, you know, was putting a lot of money in the program and they had good equipment. And I think Ernie Elliott was doing the engines at that time and it was a Ford and they had a young driver in the car. I, I think his name was Darren Law maybe or something, but he had went to test at Bristol, broke his leg crashed the car. And then Bobby and red asked me if I would drive the car at Bristol for him. So that was my second ever bush race. Cause I had ran my only bush race in the inaugural race at uh, Loudon, New Hampshire. Cause Bob Whitcomb was from Keene, New Hampshire, built a bush car. I ran the inaugural first race there, my first ever bush race. So I'd never touched a bush you car. Completely skipped over the bush series. You I went did. straight from the West coast to cup. Exactly. On the East Coast. Never really had a desire to run the Bush Series. Really just wanted to be in Cup. And so I drove Bristol. I think I finished seventh. I think uh, I just I was trying to get by. I was, I mean, it was faster uh, than Michael Waltrip and uh, ended up, you know, right behind Michael. Uh, and Michael was sixth. I was seventh in my first, my first Bush race there. And then uh, they asked me to go to the next uh, race, which I don't know if it was the next race after that or if it was a few races later. They were running a limited schedule. And I went to Loudon, New Hampshire and won. And, 
Yeah. I <laughs> that rem- must have been shocking. Yeah. I mean, my third ever bush race, I go up to Loudoun and I had my finger hut uniform on, I think actually, and uh, ended up going up there. I remember going to the race. I remember being in the garage. I was obviously, you know, in tune to shock absorbers, right? Because that was really my forte. And I remember the car running really well, just looking for, you know, something, some better, some, you know, something that will hold the car up a little bit more, working on some things. I made a couple adjustments shock absorber wise in the right rear and, and the right front and changed some bleeds and things. And then and the car just come alive and went out in the race. And really, uh, you know, Hermes Sadler probably was, you know, was probably the, the more of the dominant car of the race. And we ended up though, I think he had a bit of a problem and then we ended up, uh, you know, taking the lead and, uh, and pretty much drove away and ended up winning that race. So, yeah, it was exciting, and I know that you know. We it, hardly have any pictures of that race, and I don't know why. So, any of you listeners that have any pictures or were there at that race, um, I would love to see some of those. I think I have one victory lane picture uh, there somewhere. I saw it in some boxes here when I was going through some of that stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, but it really, it really brought uh, us together. And you know, Red and I, we got along famously. All the guys we did, you know, and. Uh, went on to have major success with that car throughout the year, ended up having a shot to uh, win Charlotte. Um, ultimately Terry Labonte won the race. Mark Martin was second. I was third. Mark blocked the living piss out of me all the last, <laughs> you know, laps that I could to get to Mark Terry. Was a blocker. I was the only guy that could have got Labonte. And, uh, and I mean, I had a discussion with Mark after that, but, uh, felt like we really were the force to, to win that race at Charlotte and ended up third. Um, but, you know, you know, to keep, we went on and ran all the race, went to Talladega, had a shot to win there and got wrecked. Uh, but the biggest thing that I, I remember the most was the fact that we went to Michigan in the bush car and same thing. I was just all but wide open around that place and just working on trying. And I knew I could go wide open. Um, and at that time, nobody was going wide open around Michigan. And I just knew I was just like, my toes would curl up and I was mad because I was, couldn't keep my, my feet from, you know, like, you know, curling up. And I was like, I know I'm not wide open and I'm, I was mad and I made an adjustment. I changed the the right front piston. I put a two degree, one degree piston in the right front just to give me a little extra security getting in the corner. Cause I just felt like I needed the car to, to stand up, you know, on the right front a little bit longer. And then you know, I can make the transition, you know, right at the center. And sure enough, that did it. I went off in turn one and I said, my, I said, I don't care if this thing, I wad this thing up. I'm going wide open. And I drove in there, had my foot to the floor and I felt the right front just sort of bounce a little movement in the right front and the car turned and I went by the corner. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm headed the other direction. And I'm like, that wasn't so hard. Drove off into turn three, wide open. My pinky was laid up. I said, man, this is, I'm we're wide open around Michigan. And that was a novelty. You love Michigan. I do. I I mean, I had such success. My first time there, like I said, outside pole and, you know, had, uh, you know, that problem up there. But yeah, I, you know, just, and then I went out and qualified. I think I sat on the pole by over like six tenths of a second. I mean, I was wide open and started the race that way. And, you know here come the old wind Dixie car with Mark Martin, you know, and I'm, I'm starting to lift, just moving along. Right. And, um, here comes Mark and, uh, I let Mark get close to me and I just said, well, here we go. Let's go see if you can go wide open with me. And we drove off in turn one. I went wide open through there and left him by about six to eight car lengths, you know, and I, I knew we had him. Then we had a problem. We had a plug wire come off or a problem. We got laps down and just 
thwarted our, our effort to win the race, but we were the dominant car by far. And the next day I remember in the driver's introductions for the cup race, uh, Mark's like, man, you had us covered. And I said, yeah, I said, you know, I let you get up close to me there. And I went wide open through one or two. And he says, no way. I said, yeah, I was wide open qualifying wide open in a race. I said, he's, I couldn't go wide open. I said, well, we were wide open. And I said, you know, I knew we had you guys handled, you know, and it was, it was a, you know, one of those moments, right. Where, you know, that you did something that nobody else could do. Right. You know, people that are considered to be probably some of the greats. Right. And, uh, so yeah. you had a good group, you had yeah, a good car. We did. And, and, and that's a shame that you didn't drive more Bush, uh, back then. Well, that, that deal went away. Uh, Ron Zook had been, you know, doing some things, uh, with people's money. He was investing money for people and it was illegal. And I think he ended up going to jail. Oh, geez. And the team disbanded. So it was, you know, one of those, uh, one of those having all the right equipment, having Red Farmer, you know, who was so a what Hall was of it Famer. Like? What, what was the Alabama gang really like? Well, th those guys, they are some of the most unique and enjoyable people you want to ever be around. I mean, Red Farmer, Bobby Allison and Donnie Allison, they are just three, three unique and, you know, really special people and had a lot of fun with all of them and had a lot of respect for all of them and still do to this day. And you unfortunately weren't part of the group when Davey was alive, correct? You no. came in afterward. No, I, yeah, I can't, I was, you know, I came in after, the, you know, Davey was on, you know, with, uh, you know, the, the team that Robert Yates racing, having a lot of success. Right. And, uh, you know, then was, you know, was killed you know, in the helicopter crash. And ironically, Red Farmer was in the helicopter when Davey was, uh, was killed. Oh, really? Yes. He was actually a passenger and they went to watch uh, Arca test, uh, and flew over from Hueytown in the helicopter and he evidently backed the tail in and hung it on the fence and then turned the thing over and, uh, hurt both him and Red, but killed himself. And it was just a devastating, devastating, you know, time for just for a fluke because he was already, it wasn't like it was in the air. He was actually landing. Yeah. And I think the, the tail, the rudder there, whoever caught the fence, he misjudged evidently. And the thing, uh, you know, flipped and turned over and a major, major disaster. So, uh, a tough time for Bobby and Judy and the whole family, uh, red included. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, it was, uh, but it was special, I think to really, to give something back, you know, for Bobby and, and, and red and uh, have that kind of success. It meant a lot to me. And, uh, you know, to this day, you know, we, we have a lot of respect for each other. Right. And, uh, you know, a lot of good memories from all that. And, th and that's all you really ever take away from this really is, is just a lot of fond memories. And this, these were fond times and, uh, the thing went away and I was still at Bobby Allison motorsports having success. And then, you know, we ended up having mane and tail on and having a great run there with them with a, a very iconic color scheme again, you know, mm -hmm. with the horses on the hood and the variations of the, of the stuff on the car and just a, a great time. And ironically, Roger Donovan, who was the president, he was entrepreneur of the year for people magazine. He had taken this company and was, you know, really doing, a, making a lot of inroads with, you know, a lot of shelf space and different, uh, you know, distribution for the, the product itself, but at the same time was overspending. And it's funny that we didn't know this then, but at that time, uh, Roger was the uncle of Mike and Matt Kohler and, you know, they were kids. And when I met them, you know, they were coming to the races because their dad was, you know, like a show car driver and working for the company. And, uh, Hank was, you know, was there and 
you know, did not, not knowing, but years later, it would be, you know, a major deal for us, you know, uh, later in our careers, you know, when we were, you know, in our relationship, right. And uh, mm -hmm. trying to go racing and cup racing again. Right. And, uh, so that ended and, uh, but I had a lot of fun. I mean, you know, Gene, um, you know, the guy that was doing the marketing for the deal was like, you know, one, number one in charge. We spent a lot of time with him. We traveled, we left Phoenix and flew to Hermosillo, New Me uh, Mexico and, uh, went to some uh, lakes that were like 40 miles from Hermosillo and fished, you know, bass fished out there and just, just a lot of fun, just a fun group of people doing a lot of fun things. And, and spending a lot of money, obviously. spending a lot of money, but having a good time. <laughs> and, uh, fun you know, doesn't come cheap. No, it was, it was definitely a good time, <laughs> you know, and I even got uh, sponsorship from them for my cousin Ernie. Yes, you did. Uh, and he was running Winston West and doing races on the West Coast. And, and for had, your nieces as well. And we had, you know, we put, uh, you know, when I had, you know, uh, sponsors, then we got them to participate with them. And Ernie uh, had, uh, you know, some sponsorship out there from Maine and Tail and was cutting his teeth. And so then, it, was a, it was a family sponsor. It was. They helped us out, you know, and then Ernie would go on, you know, later to be managing and with, you know, crew chiefing for Kevin Harvick and then on to JTG and having a lot of, a lot of success and still is. So, well, and, and, uh, we still have main and tail in our shower and, uh, always have, and you got main and tail on your sweatshirt, the sweatshirt that you always wear. Yeah. We'll go into that later. <laughs> There's a lot more to talk about main and tail shampoo, straight arrow products. So, uh, it's been a enduring sponsorship and relationship that, you know, we've been fortunate enough over the years to maintain relationships with people that throughout the years. And, you know, that's something that's, I think, unheard of, really. You know, it just doesn't happen that way, right? So, but yeah, and then, you know, that deal came to an end and we were looking for more sponsorship and didn't really have any. And really, we're struggling to find sponsorship at that point in time, you know, and I just, I hated to give up on this thing. And I had started my own um, I had had two buildings, Leon Fox, who was my partner, my business partner. We built two buildings in, uh, you know, uh, the business park in Mooresville out by the drag strip. And we started a Bush team. And, and for all of you who are not from the East coast, it's not Mooresville. It's Mooresville. Mooresville. Well, we were in more, <laughs> we were in Mooresville at the drag strip. You can always tell a transplant from a, from a native North Carolinian, the way they say Mooresville. Yeah. So but Leon, you know, he was, um, you know, I'd known Leon for a long time, the Fox brothers, you know, Leon, Bobby, and, uh, you know, and, and Jim Fox, um, and Tom Fox, who was the other brother. And, you know, Tom Fox was, his notoriety was in IndyCar with, uh, George Bignotti and Tom Sneva. He was a crew chief. So he was, you know, these guys are all big time racing guys, right. And different. And the that, that funny, sounds like that could be the name of a movie. What's the names again? Uh, it was, it was. Leon Fox. No, no, the, the, the oh, Snita. Oh, oh, it was Tom Sneva and George Bignotti. <laughs> yeah, and they Sneva were and iconic names, iconic names, uh, you know, in uh, IndyCar, you know, one, you know, the Indy 500, right? And, uh, you know, so, uh, but Tom was a crew chief uh, there. And, you know, the funny thing was, you know, it was like two of them had money and two of them didn't. You know, I mean, you know, Leon and Teeny, you know, were multimillionaires and Bob and Tom were just racers and they were spending money. So, you know, uh, unique family and, you know, very unique individuals and all vastly different. Right. Uh, but Teeny was the one Fox that rode in the trunk when I won Daytona 500. On the trunk, not on in the trunk. the trunk, <laughs> into victory lane, you know, and it worked with me since, you know, uh, you know, early in my career. Right. Yeah. AKA Teeny, not Teeny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one, you know, who was, you know, standing over me in the, uh, in the mattress in the living room. Right. So, um, but, uh, Leon was my partner and we had a Bush team and we had 
gotten sponsorship from Badcock uh, Home Furnishing Centers. And, you know, that group, talk about a fun and really enjoyable group to work with. It was the folks from Badcock. Talk and, about a name. Yeah. And, Lord uh, Almighty. you know, um, you know, uh, Mary, you know, was a mother and she was the one, the ruler of the roost and, you know, all three <laughs> boys, you know, they each took turn being president and, uh, just great, great guys. And the names of the boys. I can't they, they remember. Were funny. It, it was Wogie. Wogie. Yeah, it was Wo- I forget them all now, really, honestly. Wogie and, and I'll be done if I can't remember the rest of them. But well, that, that one resonates with me. You can't forget a you name like Wogie. Wogie. The, the others were like Billy nickname. and Bobby. Yeah, the nickname, yeah. right? But but anyways, the three boys, great people, and uh, we had a great relationship. They were, you know, they come to the races, had their motor home out in the infield. Just they just enjoyed life, and they loved to fish. I mean, they would go tarpon fishing, you know, you know, in in Florida, and invite me down. They were. They were just a fun group. And Mary, I loved Mary. Uh, and Well, and she loved you, obviously. Yeah, we, we got along famously, and I respected her and the, and the boys, and uh, a great company. And we did a lot of, you know, store appearances for them as well. Well, they still, I mean, we have one here in Salisbury, yeah. and there's one in Mooresville, and it's a... It is. Great, still a, a great thriving company. company. Yes, a great company. And uh, they sponsored my Bush deal. And at that time, Leon and I discussed it, and, you know, like, he was very much about my career. And Leon said, you know... Maybe we ought to just take the sponsorship and take it to Bobby Allison and try and help your cup deal, you know, which I thought was really gracious of Leon to do that, to take it away from our Bush deal, you know, that we were funding together and, you know, and try to help out Bobby Allison Motorsports. And then the Badcocks got behind the cup deal. And I think, you know, they put more money to the program, elevated their involvement and really were on, you know, uh, I think really behind myself and Bobby. And uh, was really grateful to them because it extended the Bobby Allison uh, time for you, uh, for me, and uh, gave us the opportunity really to go out and showcase our potential. And we did that year with them. You know, we we really did. You know, run really well. And um, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, we we ended up we really were in a position to be top 10 in points going to the banquet at the end of the year. We were that good. We had had like, I think it were three outside polls, like two in, in a row. I think we went to Pocono, had the outside pole, went to Michigan, had the outside pole. And then we ended up coming back to Pocono, having the outside pole. I mean, we, we just, we were in a position we finished second at Phoenix, almost won the race. You know, I think, uh, uh, you know, Ricky Rudd got by me. I was on used tires and Rudd got by me. And then, then I had to hold off Dale senior, Dale Earnhardt senior for th- he finished third and we finished second. So, you know, a lot of good times. Um, and then, you know, it, it was one of those things where, you know, you just, you're, all things are all hitting on all eight. You're in the top 10 every week fighting for, you know, for wins, you know, you're up there running for a for top fives, running for a championship, you know, to be in the top 10, which, you know, the best I was was 15th. And that was the year that I won Daytona. And so we were on pace, on pace to be in the top 10. And then we started having some, um, piston problems in the engines. And it was something to do with the, the way that the, you know, the piston was being made at JE pistons. And, it was very detrimental. We were breaking pistons and we would be in the top 10 running top five, top 10 and break a piston. And it was just devastating. How aggravating. Yeah. I know you weren't able to change the manufacturers. Well, we were, you know, 
again, you know, it takes a while to get pistons made, you know, and you're trying to get through the, you know, the latter stages of the year, right? And you're racing every week. And we don't have a lot of money. And I mean, I don't know what, you know, trying to figure out what the problem was. And I think it was something to do with, you know, the, the, the piston itself. What, you know, I mean, the dimension of the piston, there was something wrong there that was that, that was causing the problem, problem in the bore. And, and, uh, you know, Keith, I think they finally figured it out, you know, but I know Keith was pulling his hair out and you felt really bad for him, you know, because, you know, he was making good power. We were fast. And then this, the reliability just wasn't there, you know, and it really ended our, our effort to be in the top and uh, your and your dreams of a championship yeah, go well, down the tubes. Yeah, and and again, we probably weren't going to win the championship, but we were really on pace to be in the top ten, and that would have been you know really big going to the banquet in, at the Waldorf, you know, mm-hmm. in New York, and that would have been a, a monumental effort on the money that we had sponsorship wise, but you know it just wasn't meant to be. We finished fifteenth in, in points again. So really, those are the, the highest uh, that I ever finished in the points. And let's talk a little bit about parts failures, because that's something that you see a lot even, um, you know, just in the last couple of weeks um, in NASCAR. And we certainly experienced our share of that when we had Landon Castle in the car. And remember, we could not figure out this this issue. And it turns out to be a wiring issue when we thought it was a fuel cell issue. Remember that? Well, it was the few, the lift pumps. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'd gone, you know, you had the new style lift pumps and everything, you know, with, you know, all the EFI things. And, you know, anytime it's wiring related with EFI, you know, it's a nightmare to try to find Well, you end up issues. replacing every single yeah. part thinking that then, and again, you're on limited money, limited people, you're racing every week and you're trying to diagnose a problem. And, uh, it just, uh, I just remember that devastation cause that took us out of the rate like six times yeah. where we could not finish the race when we were doing very well. And, uh, you just, you just want to scream when, um, a parts failure just, uh, takes you out of the running like that. Yeah, it's hard to, you know, you don't know if it's a chicken or the egg, you know, you, you don't know what is actually the, the really the problem, right. And you start trying to diagnose and you got to like trace things back and, you know, and then, you know, when you start looking at parts and engines, things like that, you don't know if there are a lot of, of parts and pieces, like, is it a, you know, a lot of, of, you know, are all the other pistons that you've got, the sets you bought, extra pistons that are on the shelf, are they all, you know, got a major problem because of the tooling that was done or was it the, the setup of the machine? You know, you, there's so many variables there and it's so hard to diagnose and then figure out what do you do? You set all those parts and pieces aside and start over and then you can't hardly do that because there's not enough parts and pieces available. Right. Right. And so, you know, you really, you really puts you between a rock and a hard place, you know, and, uh, that's where motorsports can be very aggravating is that, you know, you're, you're not just relying on your talent and even a good team, but you're relying on inanimate, you know, ignorant iron, as you call it. Um, and you're just hoping that every piece and part is going to carry you through. And, uh, a lot of times the winner of races, um, things would be very different if every part did its job and, uh, you know, you'd see, you know, different winners of races history would be rewritten, but you know, it's, you know, when you're a football player or a baseball player or a swimmer, you're just relying on your body. Whereas with motorsports, you're relying on what you're sitting in. Yeah. There's so many more variables, you know, I mean, when you're talking about the amount of parts and pieces and moving pieces and then 40 other competitors and, you know, the, 
you know, the pit stops and all the things, Oh, yeah, all the pit stops things, can definitely right? take you out. So, yeah, I mean, you just, you know, there's just so many things that can happen, right? And um, you see it week in and week out about, you know, things that just happen, mistakes that are made on, you know, pit road, tires coming off, you know, missing, you can't see your pit, you know, the sun's in your eyes, it just, you name it. And, uh, and that's really what's, I think, so remarkable and so intriguing about the sport is you really just don't know when it's going to rear its ugly head and take you out of uh, something, you know, that you're in a position to win, you know, or that, and it seems like inevitably, right? In these races, these days, you're leading the race and get down to the last bit and there's a caution. And then it just lines everybody back up again. Some kick on tires, some don't. And then, you know, mistakes are made getting on pit road, speeding on pit road, take you out of a race. So yeah. totally changes the whole complexion. It does. Whole complexion. It, it does. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a, a very unique sport. It's very dynamic because it is definitely a team sport. You know, you have to rely on everything. And like you say, you're only as strong as your weakest link, but it definitely can be, um, you know, very aggravating when, you know, little things like that can definitely change your course. And really, um, you know, I see it on social media. I know you don't pay attention to social, but especially when I first got into racing and uh, you were driving still, you know, just the average fan does not understand that it's not all the driver, you know, it's people, it's parts, it's the car, it's the horsepower, it's everything. And then mistakes that happen aren't necessarily your mistakes. Someone collects you, your, uh, your tire goes down, you make a mistake on pit road, uh, you know, an errant tire and you have to make a pass through penalty. And so sometimes on paper, you know, just like a quarterback that could be very good and constantly throwing to his receivers, but his receivers are dropping the balls. It's kind of the same thing with the driver. It's like on paper, what uh, he has placed isn't always indicative of how good and talented he is. Yeah. Things have changed a lot. I think certainly back in, you know, the nineties, you know, really a lot more antiquated in the way that, you know, the teams prepared, you know, the equipment you had, uh, you wouldn't think so, right? But things have escalated so quickly. I mean, we had engineers, but not doing the types of things we were doing. I remember, you know, starting some simulation, you know, some Pi Sim way back in the, you know, the 90s or whatever, right? And it was like, I don't know, you just, you could always feel like that you could, you know, the Sim would say, well, you're going to go out and you're going to run this lap and you go back out and you gain three tenths more than Sim said. And they say, well, why is that? It's because of balls. You know, basically <laughs> they'd say, well, why do you think we, you know, we're, you know, we gained three tenths and the Sim said, we'd only run this. I said, balls, you know, I just drove my, I, you know, put my balls out there on the line and I picked it up myself, you know? So those are the things that you just could never account for this day and age. There are so many other things going on, you know, and, you know, back when we were with Bobby Allison and we were building cars with Steve Levitt, we had twist fixtures. We were twisting every car. We'd put, you know, we'd change bars, we'd add a bar and we'd twist it and we'd see the difference in the, in the amount of rigidity that the car had. And then we'd go to the racetrack and we'd prove it or disprove it, how good it was. I remember going and taking a race car, two race cars, identically brand new cars. One had the body fore and aft and positioned differently and everything else the same. I mean, same shocks, same everything, just worked on geometry only. I mean, just geometry, mounting points. And all we did was work on that. And we had the car so loose going in the corner at Charlotte, you couldn't even look at it, right? And then you would make adjustments and, you know, it could be so tight, it chatter. So, you know, again, there's the way you do things, you know, it has changed. Nowadays, they have all these engineers 
They have simulation, really, really good simulation. They have CFD modeling, right? Where I think to, you know, you go and you make a change, like you move something on the roof or an aerodynamic change, you know, and you run it through like the big IBM type machine, right? I mean, like computers, it's like big, big time CFD modeling. You make a change. I think it's, it's close to maybe $40,000 a run. So that's how much money it's like, it's kind of replacing the wind tunnels, but it's huge money to make a change and make a run on the, on the big computers. So that's what CFD modeling is. It's a, it's a big time, big time tool. $40,000. I think it's about almost, it may be, it may not be quite that it might be 30 something, but I think it's close to that. Like per run, per every time you make a change and run it back through the big computer and do your semi, all your stuff on this modeling, it's like huge money. So they're putting large sums of money into that and it's replacing more of the wind tunnels. So that's what seems to be making the biggest differences, especially when you get into like the next gen car where you have all the same cars and you're looking for small, minute things that make a difference. You're able to run a lot more things by it and simulate that and to see if it makes a difference, right? Like you used to do with an engine dyno when you had the motor, when you were doing restrictor play racing, you were looking for a half a horsepower. You were looking for one horsepower because for every three horsepower or three and a half horsepower, it was like a, a, you know, a mile an hour. I mean, it was huge. So it's the same kind of thing. You're just throwing pieces at it and running it by the system to see what's going to make the difference. So, you know, we kind of digressed a little bit, but you know, that's where we were at, you know, you know, and that's where, that's where it ended. I mean, it ended really, I mean, Phoenix really was where we finished second. And, uh, you know, didn't, uh, you know, didn't win the race, but, uh, you know, had a good run. And at that point we were, we were, you know, kind of behind money wise, didn't know if we're going to have sponsorship and, you know, you know, the contract was up, we were looking at what to do. Um, there was an opportunity we probably could have gone on, uh, and, and maybe made a go of it. But you were having a hard time getting paid at that point as well. That's correct. I was not, I was not getting paid, you know, on time and I was allowing them to not pay me so that the guys could get paid. So we were having payroll issues in, in keeping up. So, you know, my money was coming extremely late and I was getting, you know, drips and drabs coming in and, but I was more worried about the guys getting paid and keeping the team together and us having continued success than I was myself getting paid. And that's, but, I mean, at this point you were married to your first wife and yes. you did have a, a farm and a house and, you know, so yeah, I mean, you, you definitely have to get paid something. And well, that- you know, I had, you know, I had, I had, you know, we had gotten a, a small bus and we were, you know, living at the racetrack with the bus and traveling with that. And, you know, so we had expenditures, we had made purchases, you know, that were, you know, larger purchases, right. And, you know, maybe extended myself some, right. And so you have to pay for those things. So all those elements play into your decisions and your worries about, you know, can this, is this sustainable? Is this team sustainable? Am I going to make it? Or am I going to all of a sudden be out without a ride because we're out of money? And I think, you know, those were the things that I was going Definitely, through. probably um, influenced your decision. You know, you talk about having the regrets of not staying at Bobby Allison's, but, you know, it always comes down to money and making a living. Well, I think a lot of it's really about security. I think, you know, you worry about just being able to have a ride. And so many times, you know, throughout my career, 
you know, I was coming into a deal that was kind of like on its last leg or it was going, and that would happen later on in you my career. You were always pre or post prime for yeah. sure. So, you know, it was really, you know, you're always in a situation where, you know, either you get to a deal and, and it's not going well, there's, there's, you know, people leave and then you're not as good. And then the deal falls apart and you look like you're the, you're the donkey. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, and that, that really gets old and, you know, I really hated to make the decision, but I had, was being courted by another team. Uh, and they were, you know, they were funded exceptionally well. They had major sponsorship. Uh, they had Hendrick support and engines and cars. And the gentleman that was running the program was named Jay Fry. And Jay Fry was like one of the guys that was like a, a manager of the Valvoline uh, sponsorship and was, you know, working like a liaison between teams that had Valvoline. And he was like going to become the team manager of this organization. Um, and it was uh, MB3. It was Nelson Bowers, Reed Morton, and I forget the other gentleman's name, but there was three of them. And they were friends of Rick Hendricks. And, uh, you know, it was, he was a car dealer and Nelson Bowers was a, was a car dealer. So he was friends with Rick. And so he had a relationship with Rick Hendrick and we were going to get race cars from, from Hendrix and engines from Hendrix and Ryan Pemberton and, um, a group of his guys that were running a Bush team. were going to like be the, the crew chief and the car chief and the backers. And, uh, you know, there were some other guys that had, you know, a lot of experience there that would come from other teams, you know, like from the old junior Johnson groups and stuff, people that I knew and were a Pete, Pete was, uh, you know, uh, from up there at junior Johnson's. And so they had a good core group around them. Right. Ryan did not have a lot of experience, uh, nor did the car chief. And I think that, you know, Jay, we put this deal together and, um, you know, offered me a deal and it was, it was the Eminem Mars. It was the yeah. Skittles brand. Huge sponsorship. I'm sure yeah. that looked very lucrative at the time. I mean, uh, uh, looking at it from the outside, looking in and all the elements and all the people you talk to about it, you know, it's just, it was probably, you know, the, the best opportunity that you think you would have had leading, you know, to be for well, people would have thought you were stupid for not taking a know, deal I like mean, that. Yeah. So, I mean, it really was presented to you in a, in a fashion that it was going to be a good situation. And Skittles and Eminem had not been in NASCAR before this was their introduction. You were the original Skittles guy. Yeah. They were, um, an associate sponsor in a small way on one of uh, the Hendrix cars, you know, so they had like kudos and combos and Skittles, I think maybe kudos and combos and some stuff. Uh, on the, those cars, right in a small way, but this was their first endeavor uh, as a major sponsor, and it was the Skittles brand. So a lot of notoriety with that, you know, a lot of a lot of work for me in the field. Which, again, like I did with Pure Later, uh, I I really relished. You that. were the Candyman. I was. You were the, the Pied Piper. There was more Skittles flowing <laughs> and boxes of Skittles and kids loving it. You know, so I liked the interaction with the kids and, you know, giving away Skittles and going and doing, um, you know, promotions, you know, at the retail outlets for that. Um, there was a lot of point of sale things where, you know, stand-ups with, you know, you and the Skittles deal, there was uh, a lot of things going on. I was doing a lot of work with the sales forces. So I was actually working with the company, going out to like the six month, three months, six month out promotions, going in, looking at the SKUs we had, the obstacles, and just, you know, trying to really aid in the actual, you know, relationships, you know, with the, uh, with the trade. 
So really enjoyed that, learned a lot, and really um, you know felt a real part of that. I spoke at the the national sales meeting for Eminem Mars, which was a, a very big uh, you know ordeal, and really you know felt like I did a really good job with that, and felt like I was a good uh, you know um, you were a good ambassador, good ambassador for, the for the brand. And uh, unlock the I ambassador now. <laughs> I, I, I relished that. So uh, you know, anyways, it was you know that's that was what was looming. And, you know, the decision had to be made, right? Whether I stayed where I was at, whether there was so much uncertainty and difficulties getting paid or take this new endeavor, right? And, you know, I, I labored over the, over the decision for a long time. It was difficult to, uh, to do. And it's kind of ironic. Jay Fry, who was a team manager, now runs IndyCar. So, you know, it's just people go from one things and then they, you know, reinvent themselves and they go do other things. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was, um, it was a difficult deal. Uh, and I made the decision and I went with the Skittles team. Uh, and that was for the, you know, the 96 season. And, uh, and again, the, the Bobby Allison motorsports did not last long after you left. No, uh, they, they struggled. Uh, I think they ran some races obviously after that, you know, but they couldn't find funding. Well, and, and Bobby was, um, and Judy both were really struggling with the death of Davey. I think it, you know, probably like you said, he, he really changed during even that course of the year that you drove for him, that the grief really took over. Yeah, it was struggle. You know, Bobby and Judy had problems and it was, it was difficult dealing with, you know, with Davey's death and, you know, and you can understand, it's understandable, right? You know, and and didn't he? Um, he had another family member that died as well. Did he not that year? No, a uh, brother. Well, Clifford had. You know, that was uh, Clifford had died earlier okay. than that. But um, they had gone through a lot. Yeah, that and family went through a lot. I think you know the their faith was the only thing that really kept them going, and you know they had enormous faith. And you know, I loved I loved them both. Uh, Bobby and Judy were just super super good people, and. Uh, you know, Bobby was, you know, obviously, you know, when, you know, when he was hurt at Pocono, you know, he had the head injury, right? You know, he wasn't able to drive anymore and that was difficult on him. And, you know, uh, taken just, out of the car before his taken time. Out, yeah. Taken out of the car before his driver. time, you know, and I mean, he didn't really get to end on his own terms. Right. And that's tough for, for any race car driver. I mean, I think you just, you love it so much it means so much and it is you know to the depths of your soul it's what you have so much passion for and you put every ounce of your being into it and bobby was that way mm -hmm. i mean to the core and you know he was able to live through the racing team and and you know be a part of it you know and be vested in it and you know i was glad that we had the time together we we've been friends for a very long time and i still see bobby at you know, autograph sessions and things, you know, and it's always good to see him. And yeah, we brought him back and we had the throwback, the main and tail on the car and we brought him back to the cup race. And that was so nice. And I remember the first time I met him, uh, when we were dating and, um, he, uh, he said, now who are you? Cause I thought maybe he thought I was your first wife. Yeah. And I said, no, I'm Derek Cope's girlfriend. And he goes, Derek Cope. And, uh, you were coming through the door cause we were at, I don't know, uh, cookout or something. And, uh, 
and you went up to uh, to shake his hand, and he said, "No." He says, "I'm talking to her." And then when we went to take pictures, um, you went and got in the picture, and he said, "I want one with just her." Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then we got one with all three of us. But he was uh, he was such a card, and and you know we we had dinner that night with him and his wife, and it it really was a um, a really unique relationship that y'all had, and. And uh, yeah, he's just an incredible person, and and I know he's struggling now with a number of medical things going on and just the aging process. It's sad, but uh, he definitely was an icon in the sport, and and I highly respect him. Yeah, I always look forward to you know you know you're a Daytona 500 winner. They you know you get to go in this in the 500 club at Daytona. We'd always see him there, and, and Jeff Bodine, and you know all the guys that you know have won, and you know you get to hang out and talk old times. But I always relished seeing Bobby and you know we just uh i have a special place in my heart for him always have and even though i left at a time that you know probably was not the most conducive for the race team or whatever you know i think people understand that you know you make choices uh, with whatever the amount of information you have at that time absolutely you you know but just uh, like anything you know you don't always have all the information at the time you just have what fits your needs and you know pro cons list you know they don't lie and at the time you only have the information that's in front of you well well you know again it it, uh it was a it was a special time in my life and i really enjoyed it all and uh you know, obviously, we're going to dive into more about what transpired, you know, with, you know, the Skittles uh, team and, um, you know, how things went there or how, you know, poorly I felt like they went. And then, you know, my departure as well. Uh, and then where we went from there. But, uh, you know, again, um, it was a lot to talk about and, and a lot of fond memories coming back and, um, you know, difficult times as well. But uh, I was, it was a good period of time for me. And, uh you know, I like talking about it. So. I know. I can tell that you do. And uh, we appreciate you sharing this uh, with us. And uh, thank you all listeners for listening in. And uh, we will be with you next time. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. Did this episode give you some value? If so, please follow us on Facebook at Derek Cope and Instagram at DerekCope00 and leave a comment or question and use hashtag race theory. We can't wait to hear from you. See you on the next episode.